Our God speaks to us through his holy, inspired, and inerrant, life-giving word from Daniel chapter 4. And this is perhaps one of the most dramatic portions that we find in all of the book of Daniel, as we find the great king Nebuchadnezzar brought down low to the ground. And so to get us started here this morning, I'll read Daniel 4, 1 through 18, but we'll cover the whole chapter. So hear now as God speaks to you. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in the bed, the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers came in, and I told them the dream, but they could not make known to me its interpretation. At last, Daniel came in before me, he whose name was Belteshazzar, after the name of my God, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And I told him the dream, saying, O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and that no mystery is too difficult for you, tell me the visions of my dream that I saw and their interpretation. The visions of my head as I lay in the bed were these, I saw and behold a tree, In the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong, and its top reached to the heavens, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful, and its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, Chop down the tree and lop off its branches. Strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze and the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts and the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's. And let a beast's mind be given to him, and let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men, and gives it to whom he will, and sets over it the lowliest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw, and you, O Belteshazzar, tell me the interpretation because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able, for the spirit of the holy gods is in you. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray. Father, we do know that if you do not speak to us, we cannot know the truth. And so, Lord, we ask as your word is open before us this morning, that you would indeed speak to us for your servants are listening. May you fix our eyes 
and our hearts upon Jesus Christ, that great King of kings and Lord of lords. It's in his name that every man shall bow and confess him to the glory of the Father. And we pray this in his name. Amen. You may be seated. I grew up in a home where it was not uncommon to hear from my dad little sayings, little wise sayings that would uh, carry about the day. Uh, Some of these sayings would be uh, just little truths, such as, uh, the early bird gets the worm, or perhaps, uh, the squeaky wheel gets the oil. Of course, he would say these little sayings, and as a young kid, I always despised them, thinking, what does this even mean? Uh, But more often than not, he would give me little truths from the scriptures. Uh, He'd give me little proverbs to help me know what true wisdom is. Uh, He would often say, a soft answer turns away wrath, or faithful are the wounds of a friend. Uh, But there was one saying that he would often repeat to me as a young boy, and I can still hear it in that old King James language, and it was, Pride cometh before the fall. And that really is the truth of our text today. That was a truth that was glaringly missing from Nebuchadnezzar's home when he was a child. That pride precedes the fall. And it's in this chapter that we do see great pride and a great fall in Nebuchadnezzar's life. We see him uh, raising up his chest in all of his glory and might and strength and saying, my kingdom, my power, my glory. And then we see the Lord, of course, uh, returning that by humbling him, by bringing him down low uh, because Nebuchadnezzar had not grasped the spiritual truth that we see all throughout this passage. And it first comes to us in verse 17. And it's a, a truth that we must all grasp that we must all understand. What Nebuchadnezzar needed to see and what we need to see is that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets it over the lowliest of men. The Lord God of Israel, he is the true king over all the kings. He is the sovereign God who reigns over the universe and all uh, pathetic little attempts by men To claim sovereignty are but nothing. They are but a drop in the bucket compared to this king. And so that's what we want to look at this morning as we examine Nebuchadnezzar's pride and Nebuchadnezzar's fall. And so really to get a portrait of Nebuchadnezzar's spiritual state, we want to look at this kind of diverse uh, look into his life, that that he was a, a complex man. He was a man that received truth and yet ignored it. And really the first thing we see uh, come up here in Daniel chapter 4 is that he was a spiritual shapeshifter. He was always uh, changing his tune. Uh, One pastor called him a spiritual chameleon as he was changing his color depending on his context. And when he was humbled by God in the dreams and revelations, yes, he sang the praises of God, but when he was left to himself, he sang his own Praises, And that's what we see to start off our text this morning in verses 1 through 3. Here is this great confession. King Nebuchadnezzar to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. Peace be multiplied to you 
It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. And so here is Nebuchadnezzar confessing, even proclaiming publicly this truth about God, that he is the king of kings, that his kingdom uh, will never end. And of course, this is a drastic contrast with what we have seen before. If you remember just last chapter that Nebuchadnezzar was humbled by the truth as as Daniel reveals to him the interpretation of his dream in chapter 2. And then what does he do in chapter 3? He erects a golden image to be worshipped. And he was so angered by Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that he sent them to a fiery furnace to be burnt. Here was his pride. Here was his spirituality, always changing. And yet, when God delivered those three boys from the fire, what does he do? He proclaims the truth about God. And so we see a man who is complex. We see a a spiritual shape shifter. He is not true in himself. This confession is probably nothing more than what seemed good to him at the time. Because as we will see, he is a man held captive to pride. But we must also notice that he was a man who received revelation. We should take a step back when we look at this passage. We even look at the book of Daniel that it was Nebuchadnezzar. It was through Nebuchadnezzar that God was revealing his purposes in the earth. At this time, it was Nebuchadnezzar who was receiving the revelation. This pagan king, this godless emperor. He was the one who was receiving uh, the truth about God's purposes in the earth. This man. And yet, what did he do with that revelation? But he receives another dream in our passage uh, this morning. You see this in verse 4. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in the bed, the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. But then you'll notice, just in verse 6, what does he do with that dream? Where does he go for uh, the, the interpretation of that dream? Well, he goes back to those worthless wise men. Look at verse 6. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Of course, they couldn't interpret it. Verse 7, then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers came in, and I told them the dream, but they could not make known to me its interpretation. Here again is King Nebuchadnezzar, completely befuddled by his dream. Here is this great king who thinks he knows all things, greatly alarmed by what he has seen in this revelation from God. But he goes to consult the magicians, the enchanters, those academic elites of his time who were completely incapable of interpreting his dream before. And of course, we don't know the reason why he did this. Perhaps he thought he would give them another chance. Or perhaps he thought they would tell him what he wanted to hear. That they would give him a false sense of comfort. But not only did Nebuchadnezzar receive these dreams and revelation, but he also had his own personal prophet in the prophet Daniel, as you see in verse 8. At last, Daniel came in before me. He who was named Belteshazzar 
after the name of my God and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And I told him the dream. So in walks Daniel, the prophet of God, the one who knows the truth about God's plans for this world, the one who God has entrusted with insights, with the interpretive capabilities to understand these dreams because those other worthless wise men, those worldly wise men, uh, were completely incapable of making known the truth. And so Daniel comes in and he is about to deliver the interpretation, this revelation that God is bringing to King Nebuchadnezzar. And so it's in verses 9 through 17 that we have this dream. And it's a more of a nightmare for Nebuchadnezzar than anything. It's a, it's a dream that alarms him and terrifies him because he sees this great tree that extends up to the height of heaven. And it's under this tree that you find the beasts of the earth feeding off this life system, this ecosystem that is created by this tree. And Daniel comes along and says that this tree, this kingdom, or this, this tree is the kingdom of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar. It's your kingdom that this dream is describing. And what do we see happen later on in the dream? But it's the tree that is cut down to a stump. It's leveled by a holy one, a watcher, a seer. Something comes from heaven, something that comes from above, comes down and tears down this tree. So it is almost useless. It's almost lifeless, but it isn't destroyed. It isn't cut down so it doesn't have life. But the Lord protects it with this gold band of iron and bronze so that it might still live, but it has now been reduced to the beasts of the field. And so here is the revelation that Nebuchadnezzar received at this kingdom of his was about to come crashing down to the ground. But not only did he receive a revelation, he also was warned. This dream takes a turn in a different direction, as you see in verse 16. As it doesn't speak about a tree, it speaks about a man. Let his mind be changed from a man's, and let a beast's mind be given to him, and let seven periods of time pass over him. And so here we have this foreboding warning to the man that this dream is describing. Uh, perhaps you are familiar with the name Harry Truman. Uh, not the president of the United States, but uh, the overseer or the operator of Mount St. Helens Lodge. It was in 1980 that scientists began to sound the alarm that it was likely that the volcano Mount St. Helens was about to erupt. And so they were warning everyone in the surrounding area saying, you need to evacuate. And here Harry Truman heard the warnings and yet he was a stubborn old man that wouldn't hear the warning. So on May 17th, they tried one last time, saying, it's going to blow. You better run. And yet, what did he do? He remained there. And on May 18th, the volcano erupted and took him over in a firestorm of epic proportions. And there's always a danger in hearing the warnings of God. It's almost automatic to assume that they aren't for us. 
that sure, God is going to bring punishment against sin, but not against my sin. Sure, the judgment day is coming, but that weight of judgment can't fall on me. This was the spiritual condition of Nebuchadnezzar. They thought, yes, there's a warning here, and yes, it'll become clear that it's for me, but surely it can't happen to me. Nebuchadnezzar, the greatest king to ever live on this earth, surely the weight of judgment will not fall on me. That's the danger when you hear these kinds of warnings. You say, it could never be me. But as we see here in verse 17 and verse 25, that Daniel doesn't allow for any ambiguity for Nebuchadnezzar. He points the arrow right at him and in a Nathan to David-like fashion says, Nebuchadnezzar, thou art the man that this passage is talking about. This dream is regarding you. You are the tree that will be reduced to a stump until you recognize, Nebuchadnezzar, that your kingdom is given to you by God. So jump down to verse 25. Notice the change in pronouns. That you shall be driven from among men. And your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox. And you shall be wet with the dew of heaven. And seven periods of time shall pass over you. Till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men. And gives it to whom he will. And so Daniel is saying to Nebuchadnezzar, you have to understand this truth. Nebuchadnezzar, won't you grasp it? Don't you see that the Lord has given you a warning? He's given you a sufficient time to turn from your sins, to turn away from pride, and recognize just that simple truth that God is sovereign. And he gives the kingdom of men to whomever he will. You can't own your own kingdom. You can't claim your own power and glory. That belongs to him, Nebuchadnezzar. And you see Daniel doing precisely that in verse 27. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. And so Nebuchadnezzar was sufficiently warned Daniel, this prophet, is declaring the truth about righteousness before him. And yet, as we know, the story continues on. He doesn't hear the warning. He thinks to himself, this could never be about me. And so what does he do? We see in the next portion of our text, he turns in great pride. And that's what we want to ultimately see about Nebuchadnezzar is that he was a prisoner of pride. He received revelation. He was warned about the judgment to come, and yet he couldn't see it. He couldn't grasp it because he was held captive to his own pride. And I hope you understand that's what pride does. It blinds you. It makes you not see what God is revealing to you, that he's calling for you to humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. And so that he might exalt you at the right time. Pride will always convince you and lie to you saying, I don't need it. I'm sufficient on my own. 
I don't need the Lord's help. Well, that's what we see here with Nebuchadnezzar as he has this great display of pride in verse 28. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar at the end of 12 months. He was walking on the roof of his royal palace in Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my power, my mighty power, as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? Perhaps he was looking at those, uh, that great uh, seven ancient wonders of the, or the wonders of the ancient world, the Babylonian hanging gardens, and he looks down upon it and sees this beautiful array of human architecture and says, haven't I done a wonderful job? Look at the kingdom of Babylon. Isn't it wonderful? Isn't it great? Doesn't it testify to me my great power and glory in this world? Nebuchadnezzar, all he could say was my, my kingdom, my power, my glory. Because his heart was set on pride. He didn't recognize that the Most High God gives the kingdom of men to those whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. He hadn't grasped that truth. And so all he could say is, Aren't I the greatest? Aren't I filled with glory? Isn't this palace fitting for my majesty? So in this moment, he ignored the revelation. He spurned the warning and he changed shapes once again, turning to his own wisdom and pride. Well, pride cometh before the fall. And for Nebuchadnezzar, it was instantaneous. Nebuchadnezzar thought he was making a proclamation about his own sovereignty, but the truth about Nebuchadnezzar is that he couldn't even finish that sentence on his own strength and power. As you see in verse 31, while the words were still in the king's mouth, he couldn't even finish it. That's how powerless he was. While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will Verse 33, immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. What a great falling for Nebuchadnezzar. This high and mighty king who trumpeted his glory all of his days Reduced to the nature of an ox, grazing the field like a lunatic, thinking that he was some kind of animal. And for seven years, he was put under the humbling power of God. You know, one of the most irritating characters in all of fiction is a boy by the name of Eustace Scrub. If you've read Narnia, you know that used to scrub completely deserved 
his name. He was an arrogant and proud boy. He looked down on everyone else around him. And it's in the voyage of the Don Treader that Eustace Scrub stumbles upon a cave filled with gold. And he's in this greedy uh, lust for all of this gold, stuffing his pockets. And then he falls into this deep sleep and turns into a dragon. And he does all that he can to remove the, the dragon's skin. And he tries to tear it, but he can't do it on his own. And he thinks that he is uh, totally consigned to being a dragon for all of his life, uh, that his life had been ruined. Uh, but as we know, the story goes on. It's Aslan who comes with his claws, his ferocious, ferocious lion-like claws, and tears the scales off his skin. And he turns into a just a normal boy. And yet everyone afterwards thought that he was a completely different boy because he had been undragoned of his pride. He had been brought low. He was dependent on another. And that's precisely what God is doing here with Nebuchadnezzar in his fall. He's bringing him down low so that he will recognize the truth about his own pride, the truth about God's sovereignty that he belongs to the king of kings and he cannot claim his own rival majesty. And so that's precisely what the Lord does here with Nebuchadnezzar. I want you to notice that it's not only a great fall that occurs to him, but it's a great transformation. You see this here at verse 34. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven. That's the first step of humility. Simply lifting your eyes to heaven and casting your eyes away from looking down on other people or looking to yourself for your own glory. No, it's looking to heaven. Simply raising your gaze. That's what Nebuchadnezzar does. He says that my reason returned to me and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever for his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. Basically the same truth that he proclaimed at the beginning of the chapter, but this time it's a sincere confession. He understands now that the Most High really does reign and that he is the one who is king over the universe and Nebuchadnezzar is but nothing. And then we see possibly the, one of the most eloquent descriptions of the sovereignty of God that we find in all of Scripture, said by this pagan king who had been humbled so greatly. Look at verse 35. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Nebuchadnezzar has finally understood the truth. He had to be brought low to get it. It took seven years for him to finally understand that the Most High rules the kingdom of men, that his ways are just, and that none can question him, saying, What have you done? He understands the sovereignty of God. I want to spend the final moments of our message this morning by focusing on verse 37. Because it's verse 37 that Nebuchadnezzar almost turns to his readers and instructs them, saying, 
Learn from my life. Listen to me. Look how I lived. Pursue humility. Look at verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, after his glory and majesty had all been returned to him and restored as his kingdom is brought back to his hands, but he understands that it was a gift from God as it was all along. But he says, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. For all his works are right, and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. So what can we learn from old Nebuchadnezzar? What can we learn about pride and humility? Well, first, we must know the pervasive power of pride. This was Nebuchadnezzar's sin, and it's every man's sin. You know, occasionally you'll turn on the TV and perhaps you'll watch a, a game and you'll see a, a sports figure, a star, saying after the game that he has somehow reached the greatest heights of playing the sport. I am the greatest to ever play this game. And you look at that and you raise your eyebrows and say, what a tremendous display of pride. Perhaps you'll look at a celebrity that boasts in all of their wealth and their glory and how everybody looks to them uh, for guidance and praise and glory. Everybody can recognize pride when we see it. And yet, it's a sin that often hides itself better than that. Pride is pervasive. Lewis called it, C.S. Lewis called it, the great sin. A sin, he says, that which no man in the world is free, which everyone in the world loathes when they see it in others, and of which hardly any people except some Christians ever imagine that they are guilty themselves. There is no fault which we are more unconscious of in ourselves, and the more we have it in ourselves, the more we dislike it in others. Pride is powerful. Pride holds everyone captive to its grip, And we can learn from Nebuchadnezzar that simple formula of pride. It's any time those eyes drift from heaven down upon ourselves. And we begin to say, my kingdom, my glory, my family, my intellect, my personality. Not realizing that it's all a gift from heaven. Even the breath that we're breathing right now, we cannot sustain on our own. But pride teaches you to say, my kingdom, my power, my glory. Well, pride's real power is that it causes people to walk straight into destruction with a puffed up chest and a haughty gaze. And that's what pride does. It blinds you to the truth about God, but it also sends you with arrogance to the fires of hell. In Isaiah chapter 2, on the day of judgment, it says that the eyes of the arrogant will be humbled and the human pride brought low. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. And that's what you see here in Nebuchadnezzar's life. The Lord alone will be exalted. He will not share his glory with another. And so we are all faced with that great question. Will we bow before him in this life? Or will we do it in the next? Because every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess 
that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. It's inescapable. But the Lord is saying to each one of you here this morning today that now is the time for humility. Break off your sins. Turn from your iniquity. Walk in humility. And so we know the pervasive power of pride, but we also need to know that God is able to humble. I hope you see the the greatness of those gospel words here from Nebuchadnezzar's lips at the end of verse 37. Those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. It's a gospel word because humility cannot be attained by self-deprecation or being ashamed of your achievements and talents. Humility is a gospel grace. Humility comes from Jesus Christ and him alone. God is able to humble those who walk in pride. That's why Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, the way of humility. You couldn't find a character in all of Scripture that contrasts with Nebuchadnezzar more than the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the beauty of this passage, is it shows so clearly to us the difference of the two kings. You see, Nebuchadnezzar rose up in pride, but Jesus Christ came down in humility. Nebuchadnezzar boasted of his own glory. Jesus Christ set aside his own glory to rescue his people. Nebuchadnezzar thought that he could control his own life and do what he wanted, but Jesus Christ entrusted himself to his father. Nebuchadnezzar was humiliated by his pride, but Jesus Christ was humiliated in his humility as he set his face towards the cross. That great king of the universe, the king in which Dan, or, uh, Nebuchadnezzar is talking about in our passage today, that king set his face towards the cross and suffered the shame, the humiliation on our behalf. And so we can rejoice in knowing that Jesus Christ is able to humble us too. He has shown us the way towards humility. He has purchased for us on our behalf true Christian humility. And he always has a way of working it into his people. He always has a way because as you see in this passage, God got a hold of Nebuchadnezzar. And if we are walking in pride, he will get a hold of us. He is able to humble us. He will bring us down low so that we have on our lips, we know that the most high rules of the kingdom of men. And Jesus is working into all of our lives that truth. Thine is the kingdom. Thine is the power and the glory and the majesty forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we do know that by nature we are proud, arrogant sinners. And Lord, without you, we have no hope in this world. But Lord, we are thankful for the Lord Jesus Christ to endured the shame on our behalf uh, so that we might be freed from the prison of pride, that we might lift our eyes up to heaven and give you the proper praise that you're due. Uh, Lord, would you work this humility in our lives 
May we be known for our humility, not so that we might gain glory for ourselves, but that we would testify to the power of Jesus Christ over sin. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.